1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. And I'm alongside my second favorite comedian, (laughs) Mr. Mark Ellis. Okay. But only for this time frame. I'm I'm putting uh, your pal Zelensky as my favorite comedian since the leader of Ukraine was a former comedian. That's all I will say. uh, He's just my favorite comedian at this time.
2: Used to see him at the open mics. We'd fist bump, you know, good times all around, but uh, much support to... uh, to the people of Ukraine, I um, i mean, this is why we do this show, Jack, or at least this is why you do this show, is because I know where your heart really is. And it lies in award season. And now we finally have the show that you didn't have to prepare for at all, that I had to scramble around and watch six <laughs> movies in the last two days to gear up for. And that would be it's our Oscars show yeah it's our oscars particularly best picture we're talking about all the best pictures what should win what shouldn't even be nominated where the tomato meter are. rotten Tomatoes got some of these wrong in my humble opinion so this is going to be a fun episode and then you and our esteemed guest get to correct me when i um overstep my bounds stumping for godzilla versus kong
1: yes we're going to run down all the scores but before that we Obviously, I have to introduce our guest for this episode. He is a friend of mine, Kyle Buchanan, the pop culture reporter for the New York Times and the writer of the Projectionist column. He has a new book out that we are going to talk in depth with him about. But before we get to that, let's go ahead and find out what folks are saying about our 10 Best Picture nominees in Two Minutes with Tim.
0: Two Minutes with Tim. All right, so here are the scores for all the best picture winners in alphabetical order. And just a reminder, these are not based on adjusted scores. These are strictly what we have right now. Belfast is certified fresh at 87% on the tomato meter with 293 reviews. Coda is certified fresh at 96% on the tomato meter with 256 reviews. Don't Look Up is rotten at 56% with 281 reviews. Incidentally, Don't Look Up is the worst reviewed Best Picture nominee since Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close from 2012, which was rotten at 45%. Drive My Car is certified fresh at 98% with 163 reviews. Dune is certified fresh at 83% with 465 reviews. King Richard is certified fresh at 90% with 268 reviews. Licorice Pizza is certified fresh at 91% with 273 reviews. Nightmare Alley is certified fresh at 79% with 313 reviews. The Power of the Dog is Certified Fresh at 93% with 321 reviews. And finally, last but not least, West Side Story is Certified Fresh at 93% with 348 reviews. Last year's Best Picture winner, Nomadland, is Certified Fresh at 93% with 421 reviews. And the best reviewed Best Picture of all time is It Happened One Night, which is Certified Fresh at 99% with 103 reviews. We covered that one on a previous podcast. So those are your nominees. I'm hearing the wrap it up music right now. So I just want to thank Lucy and Jacqueline and Mark for everything. I couldn't have done it without you. And thank you so much. Back to you folks.
2: And it happened one night reference. Oh, we were so young when that movie came out, Jacqueline.
0: Yes. Honestly, uh,
1: that best picture uh, chat that we did with Eric Cohn was incredible. But I have to say, I do think our chat with Kyle is going to top that. So let's go ahead and cue that up now in our movie talk section. All right, everyone, please welcome now to the Rotten Tomatoes podcast, Mr. Kyle Buchanan, the pop culture reporter for the New York Times and writer of the Projectionist column. He has a new book out, Blood, Sweat, and Chrome, the Wild and True Ride of Mad Mad Max Fury Road. And he also happens to be a man with an impeccable suit game. I have seen it, ladies and gentlemen, you do not (laughs) even know. Kyle, sir, how are you doing?
3: I'm good. You know, I mean, listen, I'm I'm a Southern California guy. I wear T shirt and shorts almost all the time. But when required to step it up and wear a suit, which, you know, is part of my job going to these award shows, I will wear a suit. I will turn it out and they will be cool suits.
2: Yeah, see they will be cool suits. I mean, look, is is that people look at me probably the same way some might look at Kyle and they're like, oh, well, look at how relaxed and chill that guy is. What we're doing is we're conserving our energy right. for the next time that we have to suit up. So we're not like, you know, I, I, that's why I couldn't be like the president of the United States, for example, that and many other reasons. But like I can't do a suit every day, but I can pull it off like once a month.
1: Mark, though, before we get into our discussion today, because we're both Kyle and I live in the award space um, yes, when I'm are. not on this podcast. Trust, ladies and gentlemen, that is what Mistress has sort of uh, kidnapped me. Uh, we need to break down our 10 Best Picture nominees and sort of rank them. And you have our framework for this, Correct.
2: Yes, I do. I have the ranking formula and I am ready to go with it. So I'm going to give you the ranking formula order. So starting at the top and then I'm also going to give you all the tomato meter because that is how prepared I am. (laughs) Thanks to the notes put together by producer Lucy, without which I would be lost. So here we go in order of our ranking formula, Rotten Tomatoes. And that, that kind of factors in like how many reviews there are for a particular film, that sort of stuff. So here we go with the power of the dog. Shout out to Molly the Wonder Dog. 93% certified fresh, followed by Coda, which is 95% certified fresh. West Side Story coming into the three spot, 92% certified fresh. They're all certified fresh at this point. Drive My Car is number four at 98%. Licorice Pizza, somehow it's better than Dune. I don't get it. 91%. (laughs) Dune is right behind Licorice Pizza, 83% on the tomato meter. King Richard Gets us back into the A territory with 90%. Number eight is Belfast, 87%. Nightmare Alley is 79%. And Bringing Up the Rear is a movie that really is encouraging its cast to not do what it's doing to all these other award-contending movies. Don't look up. And that is 56%. The only rotten film, according to Tomato Meter, nominated for Best Picture. So there you go.
1: Ranking score, I will say, for anyone that's sort of like curious about why we do that, the reason being is a film like Drive My Car, which is 98% certified fresh and I think numerically the highest ranked best picture, actually got a fraction of the reviews of a film like Power of the Dog, who had over 300 reviews because it was a very widely reviewed film film at 93 so the idea to be we want to reward the most populous films that were judged by the largest version of the critical community because then you'd have a bunch of films that just had five reviews and positive reviews be at the top of all of our lists and i don't think that's fair drive my car is incredible but i don't think you can compare how many critics commented on that to power of the dog i'm curious kyle what you think of this whole thing
3: well, although in some ways, Drive My Car is the critic success story of award season. I mean, yeah. it's really crazy. Um, I'm I'm thinking about how Drive My Car was nominated for all the categories that Parasite won. Mm. But Parasite, for as unlikely as that was, a best picture winner, you know, had also won the Palme d'Or. Can it kind of was anointed as soon as it debuted. That wasn't the case with Drive My Car. I mean, I was at that Cannes Film Festival. Drive My Car didn't win first place, second place, or third place, you I mean, know. You got a screenwriting it, award. it got a screenplay award. Hey, not so bad, but still, it, it, people did not leave that festival thinking this is going to be the Oscar movie. And, and that's it only fair. became that because those critics groups, the New York Film Critics, the Los Angeles Film Critics, and the National Society Film Critics all really threw their muscle behind it and said, this is the best film of the year.
1: They really did. And I actually saw him the other night, so I'm going to go ahead and shout him out on this, although he'll never listen to it. Um, Justin Chang, who is a member of, I believe, two of those organizations. LA and National Society. Yeah, and I'm ranking one. I put his foot right on the pedal of any gas that that film gets. I think Janice Films should take the man out to a five-star dinner because he wrote so eloquently on the films. But I also think internally in his organizations help champion their its worthiness to other folks. So You know, that-
3: the, the Academy is becoming more international. We're seeing more films not in the English language make the best picture race. But it's really impressive that this movie made it over... Honestly, a lot of Academy darlings like yeah. Almodovar's *Parallel Mothers*, Asghar Farhadi's *A Hero*, Paolo Sorrentino's *The Hand of God*. Yeah. These are all people who have been recognized by Oscar before. These are their favorites. These are people that the Academy knows, and they still went for hamaguchi That really shows you the power of critics.
1: Absolutely. I'm like Mark, a pig
2: in mud. This this is just so like I
3: love. I was it about to experts. ask you, Mark. What about you? <laughs> what do
1: you think about this list? I know you well, just literally got like. It's like sometimes when I listen to Mark and other comedians talk about comedy or football, like I know I'm there, but I also know I'm like not.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, this, is, this is how it goes when I get to be Jacqueline's plus one at one of these uh, fancy events where she's hobnobbing. And I'm just kind of on the outer circle, you know, like, like I'm that guy at the party that has to try to time the laugh with everyone else. So it feels like I'm in the conversation. But uh-huh. with this. I, I guess I, my my question before I get to like the order and how I feel about it is: Has it gotten easier or harder to predict what's going to win at the Oscars based on other award shows, like in the last decade? Because isn't there always like some award show that is like the barometer, like whether it's Critics' Choice or uh, or, or SAG Awards or something like that, or has it gotten tougher to nail down what is going to take the top honors at the Oscars? this year is
3: particularly tough because we did not have a Golden Globes. We did not have that televised hit that happened in January that kind of laid out who the front runners are. Two. You know, uh, we're, With
1: what? the CCAs. You we well, also yeah, have and the CCAs to echo The Critics', to, like, the critics echo Choice it. Awards yeah.
3: had tried to uh, kind of usurp the Golden Globes uh, date, but because of Omicron, they had to delay. So... It's kind of the wilderness, but that's exciting to me. I, I think that the SAG Awards could clarify things somewhat, although there is a notable non-overlap between the nominees uh, for SAG and the nominees for the Oscars this year. Uh, I think a really kind of exciting, provocative non-overlap. Uh, a lot of people nominate for Oscars that were not in SAG and vice versa. So yeah. I, I, I don't know. I hope that it's going to be really suspenseful until the end.
1: I think it actually will. Um, the only thing I will add is, Mark, uh, you skipped the easy questions and literally went to, like, the most difficult question <laughs> that is in our industry right now. It's like me coming in first before there's even a ball place. like, who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl? Easy, bro. <laughs> like,
3: Sometimes is... it is easy. Sometimes yes. it's so boring. Yeah, and true. You know, the... maybe, maybe in two and a half weeks we'll think that. But uh, right now it feels excitingly wide open
2: you look at this list that we ran down and so there's a few that movies that i thought could have been on there maybe instead of a nightmare alley or a don't look up like i would have tossed i'm a big animal fan i'm not talking about godzilla or kong pig i would have put pig up there it's 97 i think certified fresh but other than that when i take a look at this list kyle i i see the only things that really feel like it feels like the power of the dog is going to win and then everything else is just looking for votes. Is that how you see it or do you think it's a little tighter? I think
3: it's a little tighter. I think the power of the dog is almost certainly going to win Best Director. And we have seen in recent years that the Academy is totally fine with splitting director and picture. They didn't used to be. That used to be a really rare thing. Mm-hmm. But these days, they kind of like to spread the wealth. And I think if Jane Campion is really locked in for director, they could go with something that is a little bit more crowd-pleasing for a uh, picture, which is usually what they respond to. Yep. You know, I don't think that's a done deal. I think that when you look at what got nominated, Power of the Dog got literally every nomination it had hoped to get, which the other films can't say. Mm -hmm. So you would think, okay, well, it has the strongest profile going in, but I really do think anything could happen.
1: I agree. I do think anything could happen. I will also say, although Power of the Dog is a Netflix production and has Americans and and other folks in it, and it's not necessarily what you consider like the Asian and, and Southeast Asian and the other parts of the Academy that's widened. But I do think it does have a very international feel with Benedict and Jane. And so I do think international audiences will migrate to it. But those international audiences are also the reason why Penelope, I think, got in for Best Picture. It's I think there's a familiarity in the actors branch with some of these, I would say, more global names. It's going to be interesting to see which ones folks resonate to. I'm more interested in Coda. Coda is becoming quietly my one that I'm like looking at. And I'm like, Apple's doing a lot of things that I'm like, they really feel mm-hmm. they got this here. They paid for this thing and they felt really confident about it. And they're doing like a lot of very smart moves, I think, to make it viable for Best Picture. That's just my opinion. What do you think about it?
3: Well, I think it's very viable and supporting actor. Um, I think Troy Kotzer is is the sort of heart of that movie as, as the father in Coda. Um, I think, you know, there's essentially three knockout endings in Coda. And he is the most important person to all three. Yeah, um, and I think that that category is very fluid at the moment. Uh, Cody Smith McPhee from Power of the Dog won a lot of critics' prizes, but honestly, the Academy doesn't really go for like young actors. They love young actresses. They yeah. love themselves in ingenue, but like a young actor, they're like, mm, you've got time. You've you, let's get some like more wrinkles. Let's on make that sure face. you're legit. Let's um, make
1: sure you're legit. Yeah, and
3: I do think Troy has is is not only so wonderful in that movie, but has a, a kind of more exciting story if he wins. So to me, that's where Apple's efforts almost certainly could find payoff. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see if, if they can push it all the way to picture.
1: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car.
0: With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: This is the reason why. I want to, like, justify my logic because we're all going to have to Monday morning quarterback whatever we write down (laughs) the Sunday before or the Friday before this all goes down. But um, I think about what is a lot of folks second vote, because I do think it's going to be interesting to see. I could see a ton of people vote for Power of the Dog. I could see a ton of people vote for West Side Story and a ton of people vote for Belfast. But I still think a lot of those folks second movie is Coda. Right. And
2: the way the voting works out is where you could you could have a lot of second places, right? You can have a lot of second places that kind of push you into into first because the first place vote is so split that Coda could sneak in that way.
1: That's that's kind of what I'm betting. But also I will say Power of the Dog equally has the same argument for itself. So anyway, that's just where I go. And those are the two that are actually at the top of our rankings. I think that Licorice is a bit high in my estimation. It's yes. like just in general, I don't dislike that movie. I have no like ill will towards it. I just feel like it's a little bit high compared to others. I also think maybe King Richard is too. I like that film. Don't know if it really hits everything that it's trying to throw up like I don't know if it lands aces every serve
2: serve up yeah I like where you're going with that I I I really like King Richard a lot I I I mean you know I'm I'm a big sports fan like I've been following the the Williams sisters their entire career and so it was kind of cool to get that backstory um and the performances were amazing the movie that I look at here that I would be rooting for for like an upset victory would be Belfast Um, just because it is so... I mean, you look at something like West Side Story and it's such an amazing production that Steven Spielberg was able to pull off with a lot of magic in it, but I just look at the story of Belfast and particularly given the world events going on right now, the end Oh, my God. For those who stayed, for those who got out, the way it says that it just really, really. And by the way, if
1: you don't think Focus Features is thinking about a way to co-opt this tastefully, I don't think, you know, Oscar campaigning because that's the first thing.
3: That's what they do in in the second phase of an Oscar campaign. They have to make the argument. This is why this is the movie for right now and Mm. uh, and current events do somewhat contextualize Belfast in a different way.
1: It really does. That was actually what happened with um, a bunch of, uh, even small nominations like Hair Love. When the Crown Act became a thing, that was able to co-opt to to talk about that and the love for, you know, natural black hairstyles. Um, As a woman that literally was having a fight about hair texture just yesterday, it is an ongoing discussion. (laughs) I do have to just put it this way, Kyle, looking over this list, how it has it ranked, Do you think Rotten Tomatoes is wrong ranking these films the way that they do?
3: I think it's a pretty right on list. Here's the thing. I don't think every great movie needs to be perfect. Um, I have quibbles with some of these movies. To be honest with you, the funny thing is that I would probably recommend Coda to the most people, but I think personally that Coda is a little high. Uh, I love Troy Kotzer in it, and I think it really brings it home. But I think we're all forgetting how kind of like Pat and beamed in from Planet Cartoon the music teacher scenes are, and that's a big <laughs> subplot of that movie. <laughs> you know, you forget it because the the final fil- final scenes are so human. But I was kind of like white knuckling it through those scenes. Like well, I don't know about that.
1: I, no comment as someone that spent time with Comments. the cast, but Comments. you know. No really? comment.
2: No comment is a comment. <laughs> <laughs> Especially around you know? award season. You got to read into all these no comments.
1: Yeah. Um, so So you're saying you feel like it's right. We're right-ish, maybe.
3: Yeah, I, I, I don't. I, I think that's a pretty good summation of just about how I would order it. I, I'd have code a little bit lower. No knock. To be honest with you, I don't hate any of these movies. Sometimes you get no. a Best Picture field where there's one or two and you're like, oh, no. What, what no, are they doing I was- there? But even the ones I like a little less, I kind of think, well, for the most part, think that they deserve a placement in that and that they are kind of like an accurate depiction of what this year in film was like.
1: And we should talk about it right before we sort of break down some of the more memorable moments of the two. I think this is a the best year possible for the Academy to be going back to 10, because I think the worst result of that decision, which I do think is right for the Academy and right for honoring the best motion picture. And now considering that there are literally three times as many films premiering a year as there were 10 years ago with the the addition of streaming. So I really do think that having 10 is great and it would really have been awful if the 10th film this year was something completely out of left field. There's a lot of folks that have Problems with Don't Look Up, but it is not universally hated. You know what I'm saying? Despised, or maybe. I like the story. Outside of Twitter, maybe.
2: <laughs> I, yeah, it, Twitter has its own feelings about a lot of things, but I, I feel like Don't Look Up, I, I, I appreciate the effort and I appreciate what it was trying to do. It just, that's the movie that sticks out to me like a sore thumb on this list, just because. Of the people involved, of of the director, of the incredible cast, that one feels like it's almost like we have to put this one in because we have 10 slots and I don't think it has a chance of winning and I don't really, it just doesn't really seem to stack up with the, I think that and Nightmare Alley are properly placed. I'll put it that way because I'm like Kyle, I don't, I don't necessarily hate any movies on this list, but I think Nightmare Alley and Don't Look Up belong way down there bringing up the rear. I'll play devil's advocate for
3: Don't (laughs) Look Up, which is this is a film that we will continue to reference in the next few years. Sure. I I
1: don't hate Don't Look Up. I was just, I'm like, (laughs) I, I just said, like, I don't hate Don't Look Up. I think Don't Look Up is messy. In fact, I remember I had heard a report about, like, how it was being filmed, and it was edited like out of all Adam McKay movies come together in the edit. I think every time that man is nominated for an Oscar, his editor should be nominated as well because all of his movies are made in the edit. They just take tons and tons and tons of takes. Keep going. It was a bit messy. It's a bit messy. It was a bit messy. It was a bit rushed. Probably could have been incubated probably another six months and maybe gotten something like the big short, but. Yeah. That's what I got
2: on it. Yeah, I, I don't look up to just to me. It doesn't stack up with the rest of these movies. I'm not. It, it actually, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. And and again, I, I love what it's trying to do. I don't think it pulled that off magnificently because I was really rooting for it too. And I'm still excited about what Adam McKay does with this project uh, about the uh, the the Capitol on January sixth. I'm 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 excited to see what he can do with that material, but. I mean, I just don't see it as like a best picture contender because when I see a best picture nominee, I, I want to think it has at least a shot of winning. And when I look at the top eight of this list, I really feel like Belfast could be an upset. I do. I I, I feel like, I, I I think Dune is just there maybe because they're like, hey, sorry we didn't vote for you, Danny, even though you really deserved it. Let's just put you <laughs> in the the best picture nominees instead. But I, I, Him I feel like Dune-
1: snubbed was actually my shock. Everybody calls Spielberg. Everybody said it was be mm-hmm. like- he Or maybe even uh, Kenneth Branagh, like I did. But I was shocked to see Denny not on there. What about you, guys? Yeah,
3: I mean, I thought Spielberg might because uh, West Side's story seemed to be fading. But I, di- I didn't I did think Branagh would get uh, snubbed. You know, Belfast is his own story. He, it's kind of hard to separate him from it if you like the movie, and they clearly do. I mean, honestly, I, I, I don't think... Belfast winning Best Picture would be an upset. Right now, I'd be almost kind of tempted to say that's where it's going to go. I think think that if if it comes down to a battle of the sort of, you know, smaller sized crowd pleasers, which would be Coda and Belfast, that Belfast has a little bit of an edge with the Academy because it's considered more artful.
1: I don't disagree. I really hope that uh, <laughs> the publicity, they have a an outspoken best song nominee that I'm very interested to see if they can keep him from disrupting the film's chances to the latter <laughs> part of the season. That's it. And I say that as someone that watched the Green Book campaign. Yeah, right. And when you look on back on what that thing like, l- this is what happened. This is not making a judgment of the film. Green Book, when it came out, The family of the man that's featured in it disavowed its context as fiction. (laughs) The lead actor said the N-word audibly in a QA and a during the season. And you had another person on the production who, (laughs) you had another person who was on the production who was, oh, sorry, was on the awards tour who was criticizing the film every chance he get (laughs) <laughs> As a reek tread of driving Miss Daisy, how do you then combat all of that to then win Best Picture? That movie should get like a trophy of campaigning.
3: <laughs> I think it's important to note that um, you know uh, there are certain movies that Twitter doesn't like. Um, in fact, I, again, listen, I'm not I'm not out there trying to like be uh, uh, standing. Don't look up. That's not my vibe. But I do think the discrepancy between uh its uh critics score and its audience score has a little bit to do with everybody with so many of the critics on twitter kind of like seeing what the vibe was mm. uh and kind of all kind of landing in the same place
2: yeah it's 56 percent rotten uh on the tomato meter then 78 percent of the audience score so that is that's like a mark it's not quite a man on fire situation but that's like that that's a market improvement
1: yeah i don't disagree uh Let's go ahead and talk about some of the best moments from the year because, you know, like any countdown list, we have to make sure we hit multiple categories. I have favorite moments from a lot of these films, but I think I really, mm, this is so funny. I really have to say Everlasting Love with Jamie and Katrina was like a thing for me. It really was. It really was. I saw that very late at night at Telluride. I was kind of sleepy, but... Give me a good nostalgia song. That brings me back to like Dirty Dancing type stuff. Like I think I've watched too Dirty Dancing too many times not to love everything that scene was doing. Kyle, what about you?
3: I loved all the Bradley Cooper stuff in Licorice Pizza. And here's the funny thing. If there was one movie I would boot from this Best Picture lineup, it would probably be Nightmare Alley, which I don't think is an entirely successful movie. I think it's way too lush and expensive Move uh, lush and expensive looking for a movie that's supposed to be seedy. You know, mm. like if your circus looks like it costs $50 million to stage, <laughs> but it's supposed to be this, you know, uh, den of iniquity, then I'm not really buying it. It's a little Fair. too over-designed. That said, that ending scene is fantastic. Uh, and that's one of the scenes that has definitely stuck with me amongst this Best Picture lineup. Oh,
1: man. That that scene. I was just thinking back I saw that for the first time at New York Film Festival when it premiered and it's it's a pretty much exact almost beat for beat from the original version but seeing Bradley Cooper do it mm-hmm. cuz Bradley Cooper is so Hollywood, you know what I mean?
3: I don't think it was at the New York Film Festival, right? Wasn't but it? There was or a no, New York no, no, it wasn't
1: at the New York Film Festival. It was the screening was at the Tully Hall. Right, yeah. Apologies. I'm like, honestly, the only time I'm at the Tully Hall in New York is for New York right, Film Festival. I just happened to be there when they were doing it. But yeah, it was a New York Film Festival. It was uh, just at the Tully Hall. But anyway. You see folks,
2: they're literally getting their film festivals confused. That's, <laughs> Shut up. That's yeah. how many they attend. Shut up. And honestly,
1: that is not hard to do. Like... <laughs> come on we i literally like when did i see you last you have to just go back to the last event uh but he was so glossy like bradley cooper's like got very movie star appeal and that's what he plays when he's playing the the Mentalist in in those scenes and so to then see somebody like that maybe looked like bradley cooper be that down on it i thought was very interesting you know i, I love to see people fall from grace uh we've already talked about some some of these as far as who and when and such, but. Snubs and surprises. I did I talk to you nominations morning? I don't think so. Or since then, I'm just what, curious. Like, yeah, I don't think I've talked to you, Kyle. But I'm just curious. What was your? We
3: spoke right before nominations. Right
1: morning. before nominations. So snubs and surprises from that morning, because I still to this day will mark that down as one of the strangest Oscar <laughs> mornings I can recall.
3: You know, to be honest with you, I thought Tragedy Macbeth would do better. It has a pretty unimpeachable Oscar pedigree, mm-hmm. directed by Joel Cohn like Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand are the stars and it's based on Shakespeare. Incredible looking. Like, you know, I thought that was the stuff. And I th- I thought that movie was great. Um, it's just that when the dust settled and I looked around, nobody was really uh, there with me. <laughs> I don't know. It didn't really connect. Uh, certainly Denzel is in and a lot of the tech stuff, but I thought that would be kind of a no-brainer.
1: Mm. I I wasn't surprised, but I was really sort of disappointed that nothing came outside of independent spirit for red rocket. I'm not surprised by it, but I still, to this day, I am much more about what did this person do given their, experience, what they were asked to do, and like Denzel doing Shakespeare, he started doing Othello 45 years ago. As impressive as that is, this has been part of who this man is for as long as he's been an actor, but to think of the guy from Scary Movie 4 giving one of the most incredibly disarming <laughs> and charismatic performances of a literal sociopathic like narcissist is just so I don't know, man. I, I, I still look at that movie. It's just like this complete act of audience subversion. I know you are not as much of a fan.
3: No, I like Red Robin. Oh, you did?
1: Oh, yeah. I thought you didn't like it as much. A lot of people had problems with the subject matter. I thought like you, it's it's hard to root for the guy, but that's the brilliant part. The movie makes you root for him.
3: I don't have to root for anybody. I just have to find him interesting. That's mm. my rule of thumb when it comes to uh, unlikable protagonists.
2: Oh, that's good. Everybody listening, pin that. That's a that's a good that's a good <laughs> quote to watch movies going forward. But I Jacqueline, I just I, I think it's a tough line to draw as far as like, well, Denzel's been doing this for so long. I I, I always hated that Carl Malone won the MVP in a season when Michael Jordan was playing basketball, just because it's like we're just tired of it's like, of course Michael's great. It's like he's the best player, he should get the MVP. So I, I feel like Denzel earned it when I woke up that morning. By the way, Jacqueline's the first person I think of when I wake up on Oscar nominations morning because <laughs> I don't text you. I don't. I just I send you a, a note around 2 p.m. And I'm just like, hey, I'm here if you want to talk. That's it. <laughs> and then I go on my merry way. Uh, Nicholas Cage, obviously, I was hoping he'd get nominated for Pig because um, c- that was just such a great performance. I also thought Ruth Nega was going to be like a shoe in for passing because she's great in it. And I would that was the one that left my- even more so than Nicolas Cage, because it was a stacked field in in best actor. Uh, I mean, they're all they're, look. there's a lot of talent out there. But Ruth Nega was the one that I was just I, 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 like, I had to read the nominations again because I thought I just missed it.
3: Yeah, that's a, that's brutal for me. That was my favorite performance of last year. I I wrote about it a lot in The Times. Felt a little guilty because I also said they should nominate Jesse Buckley. That's one I didn't think would ever happen. Yeah. For, Jesse Buckley for the Lost Daughter. I started to think Ruth Nega might be safe, uh, but I think that film deserved more. And and maybe there was only so much room uh, for you know all the movies that Netflix was pushing. Not that they didn't push it, but they also had another movie uh, like Passing that was the directorial debut of an actress, very female fronted. You know, with uh, with actress and supporting actress contenders. And I think ultimately the lost daughter ended up getting the lion's share of buzz
1: there. It did. And what's really interesting with it too, the Maggie Gyllenhaal is very, it, it's so interesting. It's very homogenous. It's approachable in some ways with- Maggie because,
3: Gyllenhaal is homogenous? No. Or the movie?
1: The movie's makeup is somewhat homogenous as far as the makeup of the folks that you are You want there. to just say
3: white people?
1: I'm not going to say it. I'm saying it's it's white people in Greece and, you know, or Italy and like, you know, whatever. (laughs) Listen, all I will say is I do find it interesting which ones they went to because really passing got caught in between a rock and a hard place for the fact that Lost Arter took because the Oscars are decided by what people see. Not by what people like the idea that all Oscar voters are watching everything is not the truth. I wish it was, but it isn't. I wish they would adopt the bath to formula where they have an app and they have to literally prove that they went and saw stuff to be able to vote. They don't. So whatever. But the the problem with it is like Lost Daughter took passing audience. And then on the other side, Belfast took the sort of like Brit filmmaker audience and I think those folks watched those films first as opposed to watching passing and then it just got passed over because of it passing got passed over wow
2: (laughs) I mean they told you right there in the title the other the other performance I'll just throw out there real quick is uh is Jude Hill is deserving of something in 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 Belfast that kid was just transcendental I don't like children as you know Jacqueline (laughs) and he just I just fell in love as soon as as soon as he's on screen he's great what did
3: you
1: think about him, Kyle?
3: I think that when it came to the Belfast nominations, there was probably a lack of clarity about what category a lot of those people were supposed to be in. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, the the two evidently supporting performances both got nominated for supporting. And then everybody else probably got a whole bunch of votes in different categories mm-hmm. that uh, that kind of. Wreck their chances.
1: Yeah, that I actually believe that that is the truth as well. And the confusion, by the way, on the clarification on who is competing what, I think owes to the international contingency as well, because the films are not marketed the same way out there as far as like getting access to it. There's not as much FYC. And so I just don't know how connected they are to, oh, I liked the Belfast movie. She's competing for supporting actress.
3: Well, I do like the spiciness of pushing back against the, you know, sometimes very craven, cynical um, uh, categories that people get pushed in. Sometimes a very evidently lead performance is pushed in supporting for all sorts of political reasons and sometimes vice versa. Um, And I do like it when, uh, you know, the Academy's like, no, we're just going to vote for them where we want to vote for them. And that's just how it's going to be. I mean, sometimes that's a little bit nuts. And you get a situation like with Judas and the Black Messiah, where both of those men were nominated and supporting. Because I don't think there was clarity Mm -hmm. about who was supposed to go where. Um, But sometimes they, you know, they right or wrong, which is Kate Winslet for the reader. She was being positioned as supporting because she had a lead role in her then husband's movie reservation or a revolutionary road. And the Academy said, no, you're the lead. Uh, That's (laughs) what we're voting for you. And she ended up winning.
1: And that's where she ended up winning. Yeah. Which I thought was so funny as well. Let's go ahead really quickly here, because Kyle, I know you have to get out of here fairly soon, but the fans are going to be a bigger part of this award ceremony for a bunch of reasons. Uh, they started it nominations morning and previewed their hand by having, you know, regular folks and the TikTokers of the world coming in and announcing the nominations. And they then announced Oscar fan favorite, which is a sort of backdoor to what they'd previously done, the popular vote Oscar. And it's a thing. I don't know. It is technically it's a, to, a thing. It, I
3: can't
2: yeah. argue with that. It's, it, a, it's a way to crown a movie that everybody loves. But it, this is like how they avoid a Dark Knight controversy in the future, because the Dark Knight was like worthy of being nominated. Right. But even even if you love a comic book movie that may not be worthy of being in the top 10, you still want to give it some recognition. It, it, to me, it just feels like the Oscars just are tired of getting yelled at. And so they're like, look, we'll give Spider-Man something. Congratulations. You had three Spider-People show up. Here's your here's your fan favorite Burger King crown. Well, Mm.
3: I think that's how they hoped it would go. I think they thought, well, yeah, of course, everybody's (laughs) obviously going to vote for Spider-Man. It's the biggest film of the year. But if you peruse that hashtag, it is Cinderella, uh, the Amazon musical. It is uh, Army of the Dead, the Zack Snyder fan base going hard for. There's Minamata, a Johnny Depp movie that nobody saw, but that his, you know, uh, remaining contingent of fans are voting for. These are some of the most quickly forgotten films of the year, not Spider-Man. And I I think that this has the potential to hilariously blow up in their faces.
1: (laughs) It does, but I have a feeling it won't. Like, I don't know this for sure because we haven't, but like the next Twitter spaces or whatever, they're going to let us know. And their site has already said that like, that's not it because they have two things they have cheer moments yeah and they have fan favorite and a lot right. of these folks that are programming this stuff or or trying to be whatever aren't voting correctly so they're like giving a cheer moment on fan favorite and vice versa like they're not doing what they need to do to say i'm voting for the right way and so it's actually the numbers are not cinderella i i'm pretty sure it's spider-man's the number one now
3: Well, I think
1: uh, using the hashtag, it
3: ain't. But we'll see if they're a little too embarrassed by those results and they throw out some hanging Chad ballots. Hey, I'm. Oh, look at
1: you, just putting all kinds of implications that I am not. I think the folks at Price Price Cooper House,
3: Price Price, Waterhouse yeah, Yeah. Price Waterhouse. Are they handling that, or is somebody else? They're not giving out an actual
2: Oscar, so. Are you know they? how I oh, feel wait. about this, Jacqueline. I feel it I, I feel it was complete I, I think the whole La La Land, uh, moon, uh, Moonlight thing was completely on purpose. I think it was t- to drive up ratings for the next year, and I will die on that hill.
1: Well, you can it's die on that spicy, hill, but that dude spicy. lost his job, so Very I don't spicy. know. <laughs> right now, I think we've kind of said it, but just last sort of thoughts. Kyle, what do you think is going to win? Picture? Yep.
3: Gosh. You know, I'm just going to go with the simple... One which is Belfast I, I do kind of think that um, There will be a split this year um, mm. But I'll be really curious to see What ends up winning The Producers Guild Award uh, yes. Not that they always match And sometimes recently They have provocatively mismatched But yeah I, I, I do think that Campion is such a lock That it almost makes Power of the Dog Less of a lock for a picture
1: Yeah And see I think Branna might be a lock On screenplay
3: but well, it's, usually to win picture, you got to win screenplay. It's yeah. very rare that you don't. And if you don't, you know, uh, sometimes that happens. Uh, uh, and it happens because of some really spicy screenplays or a movie that doesn't feel as motivated by its screenplay.
1: Yeah. And I honestly think that licorice pizza is not the type of film that's going to topple Belfast's stuff.
3: In screenplay? No.
1: Yeah. I really don't. But a lot of people are saying, you know, PTAs do, PTAs do. But I'm just like, I just don't feel that.
3: Yeah, I don't uh, know if the Academy does either. I, I thought the movie was going to do a little bit better. I mean, yeah. it's it's not an in, uh, an unsubstantial thing that he made it into the director race, too. You know, yeah. That's a, to get picture and director, very few films did, obviously. But, yeah. um, but virtually nothing else, you know, the screenplay, sure. But where were some of the actors? Where was some of the other stuff? I, mm-hmm. I don't know that they feel this is the movie
1: absolutely mark what about you what do you think is going to win i was prepared to just say the power
2: of the dog but now kyle's really swaying me towards my heart yeah uh, you know, kyle was trying to show me the way home here to belfast <laughs> and and you just <laughs> think Ooh, you like, sound
3: like an oscar campaign ad now
1: yeah <laughs>
3: <laughs> because i believe the the uh the narrative the narrative they've been going with in their phase two oscar campaigning is vote with your heart um mm, yes. uh, uh, a very uh, not so subtle slam against uh, the more maybe cerebral power of the dog. Very right. Very true. Yeah. And, and by the
1: way, that is the philosophy of of Donna Langley. One of the first things she said to me when I interviewed her once was she knew that Green, she knew that. Donna Langley Green Book from was Universal.
3: Gonna, yeah. Yeah.
1: Universal chair, chairman. She's still chairman. Uh, Universal chairman Donna Langley said the reason why Green Book won is because people loved it and they didn't care what anybody thought. And Oscar voters simple. vote because and Oscar voters vote for what they love.
3: Yeah, it is that simple. Um, and you know, I mean, I love Power of the Dog, but I have talked to people who did not, you know, who were not heart engaged by it. Yes. So
1: I mean, it's definitely a film that moves you, but it's not necessarily something that tugs at your heartstrings. I don't
3: think it is definitely a film that moves you. You know, oh, I've talked I talked mean, to people who were not moved. Um, I I I love it, and I think it got even better the second time I watched it. But it Oof. is a more cerebral, intellectual movie, and sometimes, most of the time, Oscar voters do vote with their heart. Yeah,
2: I yeah. heard some. I, I felt some uh, some emotional tinges watching it. I have heard from people that uh, that they just thought it was boring. They thought it was slow. But um, but I mean, also, you know, you also hear from people that Belfast it's in black and white, so they can't watch it. I, right. I'm going. I'm going Belfast um, because Go Kyle's Belfast? making me. You you literally witnessed Kyle make me uh, force me into a decision. And I'm thrilled that it's the one that I wanted to say anyway. But I was I wasn't brave enough. I wasn't we'll brave see. enough to start.
3: We'll see. Well, I'll, I'll be I'll be curious what happens with the um, Screen Actors Guild uh, Outstanding Cast Award. But it is important to note that like Screen Actors Guild and it's SAG-AFTRA, and AFTRA has a whole lot of people that are kind of you know it has uh, radio journalists, weathermen, TikTokers. So what they end up going for might not be completely reflective of the somewhat more. Refined taste of the Academy.
1: Absolutely, Kyle. The reason why you're here, on top of talking Oscars, though, is to tell us about this incredible thing that you created. That I'm not gonna say. I literally, it was so funny. I think I I mentioned it to you. He's like, that should be a book. And you're like, actually, was that the first? I did say that to you, I think, and you had already started talking about making it a book.
3: Yeah. So this book about the making of Mad Max: Fury Road that I just wrote is somewhat uh, inspired and spun out of uh, a much smaller oral history that I did for the New York Times in May 2020. And yeah, I mean, it was a really successful article in the Times. And you said, uh, Jacqueline, and, you know, uh, other colleagues of mine like Manola Dargas said, this should be, could be a book. And, you know, when people say that to you, um, or at least to me, I'm like, okay, how does that happen, though? (laughs) You know, I'd never written a book before. Uh, It seemed like a daunting endeavor, given that I have an incredibly full-time job as it is. Um, But, you know, I kind of backed my way into it. Uh, There were incredible stories that just, you know, uh, simply didn't fit into that Times piece. And... I knew that there would be more the more people I talked to. There's an incredibly long credit scroll at the end of that movie. And every single one of those people have fascinating stories because it just was a shoot like none other. It's one of the craziest, longest, wildest, most difficult shoots in Hollywood history. um, And it produced a masterpiece. So I I knew that there was uh, a lot of meat on that bone. and, And fortunately... You know, once I got together Book Proposal, uh, there was a lot of publishing interest in it. And here we are today.
2: I love it. It's an absolute must read, even if you're Thank not you. high on Mad Max Fury Road, necessarily I am, but if, even if you're not, Blood, Sweat, and Chrome: The Wild and True Story of Mad Max: Fury Road. So, I heard about this book, and I didn't realize I didn't connect the dots that you were our guest on the show, and then also this book because I was doing morning radio, promoting my shows at the comedy store, and we were talking movies and about this book that had come out that, that was talking about Charlize Theron and and, and Tom Hardy and their, their 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 I guess fishing on set, their somewhat of relationship fractured early. And I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, I remember hearing about that, but I want to check out this book. You're the guy that wrote it. I'm the guy who wrote it. How? how, Can you just contextualize? Was it just pure hatred? Was it venomous? Was it just, hey, I just want to be in my own character space? What was the source of the friction?
3: I really do think it's a clash in approaches. Um, You know, Charlize is an extremely by the book actress. Uh, She shows up right on time. She does exactly what you need her to do and she does it, you know, astonishingly well. She can knock out something like, you know, that take where Furiosa falls to her knees in the desert and screams on the first take. Uh, if you ask her to do just about anything, she'll she'll do it. Tom Hardy is not like that. Uh, Tom Hardy is somebody who kind of fails toward the truth. He, as he will say, you know, he experiments relentlessly and he will, is willing to humiliate himself in takes uh, in order to get to something that feels wild, but right. So that can take a while. And so can he, honestly, he does not, he's not known for his punctuality. Um, <laughs> and I think for somebody like Charlize, who's very professional, who's out there in the desert, who's a little bit... Um, anxious about how this movie is going to turn out and also has just adopted her first child and probably wants to go out there, do a great job and go home. It was not uh, the sort of um, working relationship that she would have preferred. Um, and, you know, he. a lot of people did not get along. A lot of people who worked on that movie did not know whether they were making, you know, the biggest bomb of their lives or or what turned out to be, you know, probably one of the most lasting credits of all of these people's resumes. It's it's a scary thing making a movie, you know, especially if you're like when you see these people not getting along, or you think to yourself, does George Miller really know what he's doing? He hasn't made a live action movie in ages. His last two films were Happy Feet and Happy Feet 2. You know, does he really know how to make like an action movie that our superhero weaned audience is going to respond to, you know, people were terrified.
1: I was going to say, too, and I I get it because the thing that the book is a testament to is it is a minor miracle to make a bad movie. Like even if you bring in every stakeholder craftsmanship, you have an incredible vision, a bulletproof script, a studio willing to do everything. Everyone can come together and really have an Earnest desire to make an incredible film and give you the worst movie you've ever seen. Yeah, like that is happens so often than not. And then there's movies like this where everyone hated each other. There are people calling their agents daily, yeah. like "Get me out of here." Uh-huh. Nobody enjoyed it. It was traumatic and stressful, and they hated their existence. And it goes on to win six oscars or well, it to did. be fair
3: to be fair many people who worked on it did enjoy it and consider it the most creatively gratifying experience of their lives but there is an almost equal amount of people who can't watch the movie because it just re- like you know the feelings of of anxiety and trauma in some cases are still really fresh uh it's a tricky thing but yeah you know i mean Mark was saying earlier that you don't have to be the biggest Mad Max fan to read this book, and I think that's true. I think that if you're... I mean, obviously, it's going to help if you want to know about how they made this movie because it is the sort of movie you watch and you're like, how the hell did they make it? But I think if you're interested in how they make any movie, it's kind of a great story, uh, you know, for George Miller to have had this vision that he was basically carrying around for two decades... And to have so many people say, you can't do this, we'll shut it down, Uh, this won't work. And for all this, you know, kind of act of God, all these act of God obstacles to be thrown in his path, it's astonishing to me that he still could keep the faith and keep his torch burning and not just say, you know what? Yeah, we, we probably shouldn't do this. I mean, it got shut down countless times. And he still had this faith in his vision. It was Playing on a loop in his head. He knew how good it was, but he couldn't always make other people see it until that movie came out.
2: Yeah, Jacqueline, I feel like if you're one of those people that believes in signs and like the universe is trying to tell you something, everyone would have given up on this movie multiple times. This is this is the universe telling you, hey, don't make this movie, and just and just the belief that no, we can do something great, and everybody willing to buy into a 78-year-old man on Tatooine making a movie. <laughs> It's just I mean, again, it's it's astounding to watch that movie. If if you if I told you everybody was so copacetic and just and it was such a great vibe on set, you would still be astonished that movie came out.
3: If there was a podcast that I spent 20 years trying to get made and everybody was like, no, I would have abandoned ship on that ages ago, let alone this gigantic production that, you know. Capsized incredibly multiple times. It's it's a a really crazy thing, and it. Yeah. I think it makes you mull what kind of temperament directors have, and these sorts of storytellers, Mm. and what do they have to have? What kinds of spines of steel do they have to have to get these things over the finish line?
1: Yeah. Again, it's you. I always tell people when you're making a movie, it's essentially like you are building a tiny city for three months. (laughs) <laughs> that yeah. has to have an ecosystem a, and, a, and it's a dictatorship.
3: <laughs> and they built this city in the desert, you yeah. know, with nothing around. Yeah. So it was they were living in that world and they took great pains to make that world feel as real as possible. The stunt men were living as war boys. You know, mm-hmm. everybody was living it. And when you're out there and you're on those vehicles that are built for real, that are moving for real, and the war boys are throwing spears at you for real. Like, it feels real. You don't have to do a lot of acting, but <laughs> what, you, what you can't do is do a lot of um, decompressing, a lot of pulling yourself away from that world because you're in it whether you like it or not.
2: Yeah, Oof. I got it. Uh, you know, Jacqueline, this is why this book is so important to me is that eventually you got to step back a little bit because I, we love talking movies on this show and it's fun. It, it's fun to dog bad movies and to praise movies that we think were unfairly maligned. But at the end of the day, it's hard to make a movie. Yeah. I don't want any part of it. So I, I applaud. I'm sorry. Don't look up. I apologize. <laughs> Pizza. I hope you win Yay! all of the awards. You're you're great job. Well done
1: love it
3: this is not what i wanted out of this (laughs) (laughs) this was not my intention i promise (laughs)
1: um let me say this uh kyle again uh blood sweat and chrome the wild and true story of mad max fury road is available wherever fine books are sold online and in person uh thank you sir for being here where can folks find you and anything i didn't mention already
3: Uh, I work for the New York times. You can find my column, the projectionist in the times online every Wednesday and in print every Thursday. I'm also on Twitter at Kyle Buchanan.
1: Awesome. Well, I will see you in a Q and a or reception (laughs) soon, sir.
3: Or in a cool suit at the the yeah, Lords. Yeah, we'll I guess that. Yeah.
1: Well, I don't know. Are you doing produce. Well, see, this is why we got to go because there's yep, another I'll event be there. before then. <laughs> I, want right.
3: picks. I want pics. I want pics of the suit. Oh, yeah. Definite pics. <laughs>
1: definite <laughs> pics. All yeah. right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All righty then. It was so great to chat with Kyle. Please, guys, also follow him on Instagram. I'm not kidding about his uh, suit game. <laughs> I'm done and done.
2: I, I'm I'm very excited to see this. You know, you gotta. We're not competing, but I, I like to know who else is out there and what they're wearing. So <laughs> I I make notes. I, I I take care of how I appear in public no. occasionally.
1: The glow up is real, Mark. I see how you're doing. Mark is approaching his 40s. Like, this is where to get flirty. On that note, though. <laughs> I mean, you're I, not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> I don't want to give him any chance to comment on the fact that I just said that he's trying to do 40 and <laughs> flirty. All right, guys. We still are taking submissions, I have to keep begging you. We want to do the hook episode. We want to talk about Rufio. We want to talk about Glenn Close having a beard. You have to send us this. Listen, our, our overlords will not let us do it without you.
2: Like, send you have to in do it. your stuff. We, audio, you. video, send it, it. Send in a clip of why you feel the way you do about Hook to rtiswrong at RottenTomatoes.com. Now you got me whispering. Dustin Hoffman is Captain Hook. Bob Hoskins as whoever it, it, it was it's me. I mean Yeah, th- no, Glenn Close is in that on.
1: movie. Glenn Close is in that movie. Did you know that, Mr. Schmoe now?
2: No, but she used to be married to my brother's guitar player uh teacher. Um, <laughs> years and years and years ago. So, how about that? Did you know that, Jacqueline? See? Oh
1: my God! Well, yeah. hey, do you know what we're doing next week for the episode?
2: I know what we're kicking around. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but it's a uh, here. Here's what I'll say. I recently saw this movie in in movie theaters uh, because I was doing something else here with the the great team at Rotten Tomatoes, and I was swept up in a world of National Treasure, like not Indiana Jones, but I, I had some fun, some raiding fun with. Uncharted. So y'all let us know. It's apparently a very highly divisive film because the tomato meter is firmly in rotten. I think it's like 40% right now. But the audience score, it's like 90%. People really, really like this movie. Dare I say yet again in this show, it's like a man on fire situation. So is it as good as man on fire? Uncharted. Y'all let us know what you think. Should that be the next movie that we talk about?
1: I mean, I hope it is because I have I have an opinion that's going to shock people. all right that's it for us this week we'll see y'all next time on rotten tomatoes is wrong